Welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio on WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasting on the World Wide Web at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm Bob Harper. I'm Danny Slater. And today's program is produced by Matt Horniak. As usual, uh, listeners are welcome to uh, call us, invited to call us during the show uh, at 412-268-WRCT. That's 268-9728. Or you can also send mail, electronic mail, to bob at leftout.info, and we'll monitor the mail during the show. Bear in mind that there's a few minutes delay in receiving electronic mail usually, so... When before you send it, so we have an announcement today um, that uh, the Thomas Merton Center has um, picked the new person awards. They've awarded ten people organizations with this award, and um, we're proud that WRCT Public Affairs is one of has won one of these awards. And uh, the citation uh, of the Merton Center says, "WRCT Public Affairs <coughs> programs: Rust Belt Radio, Fight and Left Review, Left Out, With the Lid Off." Ebony Spectrum, and the Latin American Hour. Uh, they're the, they're the, those are the winners. And WRCT is a rabble-rousing community and student-run radio station from Carnegie Mellon University on 88.3 FM. These homegrown and radical programs help inspire and inform a diversity of social movements throughout the city. Go left out. So um, there's a, uh, going to be an uh, award ceremony taking place on the evening of May 18th, and you can get more information about this um, this uh, this awards uh, ceremony and dinner uh, at the Merton Center website, which is www.thomasmertoncenter. That's T-H-O-M-A-S-M-E-R-T-O-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Anyway, uh, I guess that will hold that to our announcements to that. Okay. Uh, so in today's program, we're we're pleased to have uh, David Swanson from uh, the uh, uh, web uh, website uh, meetwithcindy.org and co-founder of the very well-known and widely cited AfterDowningStreet.org, who's a writer and activist and the Washington director of Democrats.com, and he's uh, here today to talk to us about uh, about uh, his work and and his thoughts about the Bush administration and its foreign policy and whatever else comes up. Uh, David Swanson, please uh, welcome to Left Out. Thanks for having me. Nice to say on that topic. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> so uh, we're 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 pretty near an anniversary. Uh, I don't remember the exact date, but it's somewhere right around now. Last year is when the uh, Downing Street memo first surfaced, and I imagine when this uh, when your website was probably formed. So I wonder if you can remind us all about that. Uh, yeah, it was May Day. It was Mission Accomplished Day, uh, second <laughs> anniversary. Uh, sorry, first anniversary. <clears throat> we're now at the at uh, at the third. Um, no, I'm sorry, it was the second. We're now at the third. Uh, May 1st, last year, um, so a year ago, uh, the Sunday Times in <coughs> London published a memo that's come to be called the Downing Street Memo or the Downing Street Minutes. Um, and this, these were the minutes of a meeting that happened at number 10 Downing Street where Prime Minister Tony Blair lives and works. And this was a, a short document, two and a half pages, um, summarizing what was said by various players at this meeting. And this was uh, top intelligence, uh, head of secret intelligence, head of military, the head of foreign affairs for, for Tony Blair. This was the highest level meeting. And the, the head of secret intelligence, um, MI6, for the U.K., Sir Richard Dearlove, was just back from Washington having met with George Tenet, the head of the CIA, and others uh, in D.C., and, and he was reporting back to Tony Blair 
what the Bush administration was thinking about the war. And so these minutes laid out in the frankest, simplest, most direct terms that at that point, which was, <coughs> which was July uh, of 2002, so, so this was... Uh, 23 July 2002, yeah. Yeah, eight months before going to war in 03. Bush had decided on war, was determined on war. The, the trick was how to get to it, not how to avoid it. Was determined to lie about it uh, with claims related to weapons of mass destruction and ties to terrorism and 9-11. Uh, had already begun the war with escalated bombings of southern Iraq and was willing to go to the United Nations in an attempt to create a, a cause for war, that is, to get an ultimatum that Saddam Hussein would reject, and that would then justify a war, in no sense, in a way to, uh, in, in an attempt to avoid war. And, and it makes very clear that the Brits and the Americans were well aware that they had a hard sell, that they knew that Iraq was no threat either to, to us or to its neighbors. And the trick was going to be how to sell this to the public. Um, and it's not that this was the first evidence we had, and everyone up to that point thought that the Bush administration was playing it straight with everybody. You know, there we had Bob Woodward, Paul O'Neill, uh, Richard Clark. We had all sorts of testimony. We had other documents leaked. But this was stunning. It was such a high-level official document. Nobody disputed it. It was the biggest story. Uh, in Europe and around the world in early May uh, last year, and it took us till the middle of June to make it a big story here. I'm going to say around the world, except for one one important place. Except for here, right? So the money quote I have the I have the uh, memo in front of me. The money quote is: uh, C reported on his recent talks in Washington. There was a perceptible shift in attitude. Military action was now seen as inevitable. Bush wanted to remove Saddam through military action, justified by the conjunction of terrorism WMD. But the intelligence and facts were being fixed around the policy. This is a widely quoted by now. Right, and the initial C who said those those lines, or, or the, the, the paraphrase of what he may have said, uh, is Sir Richard Dearlove, the head of MI6. <coughs> and, uh, and, and, and it's not clear there was a, a shift in attitude. The Bush administration, there is extensive evidence, was, was determined to go to war. Uh, yeah, with and the, the memo goes on to say <clears throat> that uh, the NSC had no patience with the UN route and no enthusiasm for publishing material in the Iraqi regime's record. There was uh, little discussion in Washington of the aftermath after military action. So that's a rather telling remark as well in July of 2002. <laughs> right, because, you know, there was supposed to be uh, flowers and chocolate and thanks for liberating us, end of story. And then we had, uh, again, we had mission accomplished, uh, declared three years ago. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, this this is to us here on Left Out, it's all kind of old news. And, and what I guess your point was that what was supposed to happen with the, the Downing Street minutes was that uh, this was the smoking gun. The, the, prior to that, there had been a lot of speculation, a lot of, you know, liberals, uh, you know, exa exaggerating all, you know, what had gone on and uh, ridiculous accusations about Bush's lies and all <coughs> it wasn't, wasn't uh, documented. It wasn't, you know, it was just a lot of, you know, political hot air. And now, which it wasn't, but anyway, that that could be that could be the story. And then uh, then comes these memos, which basically completely, you know, deflate that point of view and, and are, are are the smoking gun. Um, but somehow that didn't, it didn't take. It was the media just didn't, or the perception or something, it didn't take, at least 
very quickly um, the, the way it should have. Well, that's, that's why we created this coalition at AfterDowningStreet.org back in, in May of last year, was that we wanted to force this into the media in this country and into the Congress in this country. And we've been pushing those two tracks ever since. And we, we saw this as, as indeed a smoking gun, although the, the standard for what counts as a smoking gun in the U.S. media has become uh, a videotape of the president stating uh, with a lie detector on that he is uh, knowingly deceiving the country. You know, it, it, it's, it's that sort of level. Nothing counts as a smoking gun. But what you know, there's this divide in this country between people like you and I and millions of others who are paying a little bit of attention, searching things out on the Internet, reading international media every once in a while, to whom this really is old news. You know, we, we've got smoking gun on top of smoking gun, and we've had dozens of major ones uh, revealed uh, since last year, during the past 12 months. Uh, and then you have millions of Americans who get their news from television in the evening and don't go out of their way to find out other sources of news and, and still really have no idea. And, and there, you know, there's still a third of the country that more or less believes that Iraq did have weapons of mass destruction, was behind 9-11, and so forth. And so what we ran up against with, with editors and publishers and producers last spring was we're not going to talk about the Downing Street memo in this country because it's old news, right? And, and we had the Washington Post and many others write editorials saying we will not report on the Downing Street minutes because it's old news. There's nothing new here. We've said it before. And so we went back and looked through all of the Washington Posts for years, and, and none of this was in there ever. In, in fact, uh, at, the, at the time, which they said they reported this at the time, they were hyping the war and pushing the threat. And, so, and so, so to what do you attribute that? Is it a, is it a grand conspiracy that goes on in a smoke-filled room? or? Certainly, grand conspiracies that go on in rooms, smoke filled or, or otherwise, and we and we have them leaked. And I think that the Downing Street minutes counts as as making us a fly on the wall uh, of a room where a grand conspiracy was being hatched <laughs> to defraud the Brits and, and the American public and Congress and the United Nations and Parliament. Um, but I, I think that you know the the media. It has a built-in institutional bias against challenging authority, and it has the additional problem that in exposing the lies that led us to this war, it's exposing its own failures in right. the lead-up to the war, and so there's an extra resistance. So there was another thing that That's, happened. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Dan. Another thing that happened recently mm. was uh, on 60 Minutes uh, about a week ago. They had Tyler Drumheller, who was another. Um, believe he was a CIA person uh, who came out and, and uh, basically confirmed uh, the whole, the exact story that's in the Downing Street memos, as well as other things. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is one of the most recent of the dozens of major smoking guns. I mean, they all qualify. We've got an arsenal now. This guy was the CIA's top man in Europe. He knows what he's talking about. He's come out and, and said, look, they were fixing the intelligence to suit going to war. They were deceiving Congress and the American people. And, and this, you know, this alone 
ought to overturn this government. Um, right, he went to he went right. He went to uh, and I remember he went to Bush and said uh, that uh, Bush and, and Tenet and, and had a meeting and said there's this guy that's uh, this this top level uh, Iraqi. Uh, Defense minister or something—I forgot who it was. That's right. Yeah. Who come out? Who they, who they was talking to them, and saying there are no weapons of mass destruction. They're all gone. They had been destroyed. And um, they said, "Oh, well, we're not interested. Goodbye." Right, because they knew that. Because uh, you know, if read Scott Ritter's book. You know, they knew this for years. The weapons of mass destruction had all been destroyed years ago, and their hope was that there was that there was something left. Um, that there was something, some warehouse, some something like that that they could then be used with old, some old, old rusting things in it that could then be claimed. Right, and, and in fact, there was stuff left over from the 80s when we were supplying it to them, and and much of that was dispersed to the uh, soon-to-be insurgents when we uh, went in and guarded nothing but the oil ministry. But but there weren't these vast stockpiles and unmanned aerial vehicles and a nuclear weapons program or or actual nuclear weapons as Cheney claimed and these these things were myths and you know we have the same myths being spread now about about Iran but but the, one of the more interesting memos that came out since the Downing Street memo just in the past months was of a meeting at the White House between Bush and Blair in January of '03. Right. Uh, please detail this. This is quite telling. So this is getting closer to the war, right? This is only a, a two and a half months before the war, and and you have a meeting of Bush and Blair, and uh, a memo leaked documenting this meeting by someone in, in top staff uh, on the British side of the ocean, and and this was. Blair appealing to Bush to make another effort to go to the U.N., to get a resolution from the U.N. that would authorize the war so that it would be legal, so that Blair would not be in jeopardy under international law. And Bush saying reluctantly, yes, okay, we will, we'll do it, we'll twist arms if we need to. And and, and this was, in fact, the day that, that the NSA started to uh, put out a memo that they were going to spy on uh, on our so-called coalition friends and allies in the UN, which uh, which didn't work out too well, but he says we're going to do it. We're going to twist arms, but whether we get it or not, we're going to war, and we need to find a way to justify the war. Maybe we can get someone to defect from Iraq who will claim there are weapons. Maybe if we paint some UN planes, some some U.S. planes with UN colors, and get them shot at, that would justify the mm -hmm. war. You know, which is just insane. And, and, this is this is one of those things that had to be actually from the mind of the president. I don't think this was discussed beforehand. Um, and then they walked out. Uh, they walked out of their meeting mm -hmm. and held a press conference and said, and said Iraq is a tremendous threat, and we are trying to work to achieve peace, if yeah. at all possible. Right, we, and no we've decisions have been made on war, but they are they're. They continue to develop these weapons, and they are a threat. And they said that there has been no decisions been made on, on whether to go to war, and it was a complete and total lie. So my point is uh, that Bush and Blair came out and lied blatantly, flagrantly, and this latest uh, memo that was leaked uh, proves it beyond any shadow of a doubt in my mind that there was a deliberate uh, deception there. Yes, and we know if you run through the whole catalog of each weapons system, whether it's the nuclear or the chemical or the unmanned aerial vehicles 
or the uh, biological weapons. In each and every case, we now know that Bush was presented with strong evidence that the claims were not were either not solid or totally fabricated, or in a couple of cases actually forged. And and so the idea that the president meant well, or he he didn't know any better, uh, you know, not just his staff, but he himself has been completely shredded. And, and so the question on most people's minds who are aware of this or aware of most of it is, well, okay, do we need any more smoking guns? What the heck are we going to do about it? Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you next. What is the, what, what, what do we do about this smoking gun fatigue that we have now? I mean, we're, we're, you know... Well, I, I think the cure for that, both mm -hmm. among ordinary citizens and, and potential activists and with the, the media, is impeachment. There is no, I, I mean, I've given a lot of speeches at events and rallies around the country recently and uh, for quite a long time, and never has there been a word that excites people and energizes people and gets people begging for what they can do more than the word impeachment. You know, there was, on Saturday, a, a thousand people crammed to capacity in a room in Sacramento uh, for a forum on impeachment uh, at which Maxine Waters, congresswoman from Los Angeles, uh, started talking about the idea of introducing articles of impeachment against Cheney um, to, to be soon followed by Bush, and uh, which is a very interesting uh, approach, and, uh, and I hope she's uh, going to do more than talk. Uh, but I, I think once you start talking about impeachment or censure, which is a step towards impeachment, uh, which was a blip in the media for a while there, you can then talk about the reasons why. And, and give, people, give people a course of action, not just depressing news. So, but it has to be some of the candidates who are, who are running in the election or in the fall um, that, um, that, that are going to have to have this question. They're going to have to come out on this issue, right? Are they doing it yet? I mean, ha have the candidates declared candidates in the primaries and have so on? Have the Democrats shown any spine? Is that what you're asking? Yes. Have they started to say, oh, I'm for impeachment. Are you? Russ, and, and, Russ Feingold they, Russ, well, yeah. Well, Feingold actually, did, did he say that? Didn't he say well, he needs to be investigated? Yeah. Right. Well, he's, he's in the Senate, so impeachment is not his job. So which he has an true. excuse. But mm -hmm. he has not done what he could do, which is forcefully urge the House to impeach. Uh, and he only has two, two other senators supporting uh, censure with him. So there's three out of 100 there. Uh, in the House, Congressman John Conyers has taken the lead, which is appropriate. He's the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee. He has the experience and the seniority, and he was part of impeaching Nixon. And he's introduced a bill to start an investigation into, uh, into grounds for impeachment. It was the closest thing you can get to articles of impeachment without actually getting there. He has 35 others officially co-sponsoring. Uh, two of them were just added yesterday. One of them, because I called his office and asked why he wasn't on there, and they said, oh, thought he was, and fixed it, you know, which, is, which really is the primary reason any Congress member is not co-sponsoring something. So people should call their Congress member and ask him or her to co-sponsor House Resolution 635, which is John Conyers' bill to have an investigation. But the, the next step, which is actual articles of impeachment, which ought to be against Bush and Cheney, or at least one of them first and then the other, 
not a single incumbent, uh, Democrat or Republican, has taken that step yet. Among challengers, many, many have. Um, there's, there's a Republican running for Congress in Vermont on that platform, impeach Bush. There are dozens of Democrats um, challenging uh, open seats or Democratic or Republican incumbents who are for impeachment as their first act in office. And we've set up a political action committee, impeachpac.org, which is collecting money from anyone who wants impeachment and giving it to pro-impeachment congressional candidates. And we've endorsed uh, three of them so far. Well, why do you think that so few of the, the current um, incumbents among the Democrats are actually stating this, the obvious? Well, a lot of them... Well, a lot of them have no spine whatsoever. A lot of them have very bad... Are uh, they taking a risk? I'm sorry? What, what kind of risk is this, is, are they taking? Well, a lot of them think, rightly or wrongly, and I would argue in many cases wrongly, that it would be a major risk, that it would turn off moderates and swing voters in their, in their somewhat conservative districts, that it would... Uh, that it would hurt them in their primaries where they're running against a better-funded, uh, you know, some billionaire is challenging them in a Democratic primary, and they can't do anything controversial. At, at some point, the refusal to do anything controversial becomes a losing strategy. You know, at some point, a refusal to take a stand on what 80 to 90 percent of Democrats want in the polls and want passionately is, is a losing strategy itself. So... I think, I think, in fact, by forcing Democrats and Republicans, if possible, to take up this issue in the election, we're actually helping them, whether they like it or not. Uh, we're benefiting them. Mm -hmm. And people who argue, well, let's not do impeachment until after the election, let's focus on the election, are missing the whole point the whole, that there's right. no better issue for the election than impeachment. Right. Well, with a Republican control of Congress, I think there's zero chance of uh, that happening. Uh, if there's one thing these guys have shown us is that they move in lockstep. Um, you can give us a call at 412-268-9728. Uh, We're talking to David Swanson of AfterDowningStreet.org. And, um, and you, you just mentioned ImpeachPack.org as well, which is a political action group to encouraging people to support congressmen uh, who uh, will vote for impeachment. Here, here. Yes, indeed. Danny, go ahead. Um, well, um, I talked to you a couple of days ago, and you mentioned um, Frank Rich's column, um, which we have a link to on our webpage here. Um, Bush of a Thousand Days. Bush of a Thousand Days, right. And uh, it begins with, like the hand that suddenly pops out of the grave at the end of Carrie, the movie, the past keeps coming back to haunt the Bush White House. And um goes on from there talking about how... Um, for example, talking about the new the new uh, press secretary, uh, which basically um, he says proves that they they don't understand it. They don't they don't under, they're completely clueless about what's going on. Um, let me read that part where it says, um, "Oh, by recruiting a practice Fox News performer to to better spin the story, the White House revealed that it has learned nothing." Made-for-TV propaganda propelled Bush propelled the Bush presidency into its quagmire in the first place. Um, so Frank, uh, Frank uh, Rich is, um, I mean, I agree with this, this column, although I think it's a little bit, he sometimes jumps the gun. Um, he said the war in Iraq is over like six months or a year ago. 
um, which I thought was kind of ridiculous since people were dying there at a high rate. I didn't, I mean, uh, but what do you think of this column? Do you have any, any comment on this? Well, it's, it's far above average for the so-called mainstream media. Um, it would be better to see some of these things in news stories on the front page of the New York Times than relegated to columns. But I think, I think the... You know the fact that he's that he's bringing up the the mission accomplished anniversary uh, and tying it with the Downing Street memo is is tremendous, and I think that 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 stunt and the and the obedience of the media was so effective that a lot of people really got the idea that in some sense the war ended when Bush said it ended, and that ever since then there have just been these sort of little scraps along the street and terrorists with car bombs and there hasn't really been a war anymore just a just an attempt to keep the peace which is absolute and totally <coughs> false the, you know we have demolished towns and cities major bombing operations we've killed tens of thousands of people on a regular basis after the mission was accomplished and and so it's it's important to uh, to get that point out to people that you know we, we just not we haven't just been incompetent in handling the peaceful transition to democracy we've been continuing a war that has never ended and we're looking at at moving it into neighboring nations now and and the press secretary's not going to make a bit of difference in you know these the, trivial changes the, yeah the, I the current that was... guy McC mcclellan was asked today about uh you know would bush go maybe it was yesterday, was asked, would Bush go today and stand under a mission-accomplished banner? And the reporter had to ask eight times and never got an answer. Uh, I mean, it, the guy is, uh, is fantastic at just not serving any purpose whatsoever. I'm not sure why, why, why is he leaving? reporters bother going. Yeah. Well, uh, we've been talking with David Swanson from MeetWithCindy.org, co-founder of AfterDowningStreet.org, and also of Impeach. Uh, uh, what was it again? Impeachpack.org, right? Uh, and uh, it's been a great pleasure talking with you, David. Uh, thank you for being on Left Out. Uh, we'll take a uh, we'll take a brief uh, we'll take a brief break here. Uh, have a musical interlude for your entertainment, and then we will uh, we will be back. We have a number of other topics to to uh, to to talk about. And on Friday, I stood up to speculation about Don Rumsfeld. He's doing a fine job. I strongly support him. But what do you say to critics who believe that you're ignoring the advice of retired generals, military <laughs> commanders, who say that there needs to be a change? Sitting pretty little targets in a 
decide what is best and what's best is for Don Rumsfeld to remain as the Secretary of Defense. Sitting in a White House garden talking to the Lord. But my thoughts would be busy, busy hatching if I only had a brain. I am the egghead. I'm the commander. I'm the decider. Welcome back to uh, Left Out. That was uh, I Am the Decider, a parody song that came out last week on Huffington Post. Uh, I'm not sure who's actually singing it. We were looking around trying to figure this out. Maybe some of our listeners know who's singing it. Apparently it's written by a man named Paul Hipp, H-I-P-P. Uh, and I think, uh, anyway, it's, a pretty, a, it's a, parody, a pretty clever song, parody of I Am the Walrus. From by the, the Beatles, Beatles yeah. yeah. From 1967. That seems to fit rather well. Um, anyway, your listeners are welcome to call us, as usual, for one two uh, 268-9728. And you can. We also monitor electronic mail. You can send mail to us by sending mail to Bob at leftout.info during the show. So, um, <coughs> a little a story that uh, we wanted to talk about was um, Stephen Colbert at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. So on Saturday night, uh, there's an annual. Well, the annual dinner occurred, where all of the annual uh, embarrassment. Yeah, all of the top White House officials and and uh, well. Top government officials from the military, White House, from the president on down, departments, including the president, um, and they meet with all the top uh, uh, media uh, personalities and, and reporters from all over the place. Uh, over two thousand people attend this thing, and uh, it's kind of a kind of a kind of a perfect uh, metaphor for the cozy, friendly relationship between the officials and the press uh, that's supposed to be the watchdog on what these officials are doing. And given particularly the, the current climate in which really there are impeachable crimes uh, going on all the time um, that, uh, that, that are not being reported or being underreported, um, it's just a, an outrageous, um, outrageous thing that, to, 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 that this is continuing. Um, though two years ago, Bush um, made a fool of himself by putting out a skit in which he couldn't find the weapons of mass destruction. This is with... In, in, during the war in which the justification was the weapons of mass destruction. People are having their limbs he, blown off. People are he, being he, killed left right. and right. And he's joking about he's the, joking oh, the missing around. weapons of mass destruction. Ha, ha, ha. And that was, you know, incredible bad taste. But they, they keep doing this dinner. And so uh, this time um, somebody had the bright idea of inviting Stephen Colbert of Comedy Central to uh, be the keynote speaker at the end. Um, so 
he I don't know if you, you most listeners may have heard of him. He's got a program called the Colbert Rapport on uh, <laughs> Comedy Central, um, which he plays a Bill O'Reilly like um, um, blowhard. Um, <laughs> no, no. Anyway, so he he uh, he gave a speech, um, but it was an incredible. Um, uh, sarcastic, um, humorous speech, but really throwing, really, I, I, I described it as throwing bombs into the audience at the way it, it hit so hard at, at, at the, the, the hypocrisy and, and the, the incompetence and the, uh, of both the Bush administration as well as the, as the media. Maybe we should play the, um, the clip. Can you, do you have that, Bob? Uh, sure, we can cue that up. Go, it's actually very, uh, was uh, uh, very, very biting and uh, very brave because, you remember, he's saying these things directly to the president's face, directly yeah. to the face of all of the press there. It's and we'll the four-minute four excerpt. play a couple of excerpts here for your listening pleasure. Guys like us, we're not some brainiacs on the nerd patrol. We're not members of the factinista. We go straight from the gut. Right, sir? That's where the truth lies, right down here in the gut. Do you know you have more nerve endings in your gut than you have in your head? You can look it up. Now I know some of you are going to say, I did look it up, and that's not true. That's because you looked it up in a book. Next time, look it up in your gut. I did. My gut tells me that's how our nervous system works. I stand by this man. I stand by this man because he stands for things. Not only for things, he stands on things. Things like aircraft carriers and rubble and recently flooded city squares. And that sends a strong message that no matter what happens to America, she will always rebound with the most powerfully staged photo ops in the world. Most of all, I believe in this president. Now, I know there's some polls out there saying that, that this man has a 32% approval rating. But guys like us, we don't, we don't pay attention to the polls. We know that, that polls are just a collection of statistics that reflect what people are thinking in reality. And reality has a well-known liberal bias. So, Mr. President, please, please pay no attention. Sir, pay no attention to the people who say the glass is half empty. Because... 32% means it's two-thirds empty. There's still some liquid in that glass, is my point. But I wouldn't drink it. Last third is usually backwash. Okay. She's a, she's a true lady and a wonderful woman. But I, I, just, I, just, have, I just have one beef, ma'am. I'm sorry, but um, this reading initiative. I've, I'm sorry, I've never been a fan of books. I don't trust them. They're all fact, no heart. I mean, they're elitists telling us what is or isn't true or what did or didn't happen. Who's Britannica to tell me the Panama Canal was built in 1914? If I want to say it was built in 1941, that's my right as an American. I'm with the president. Let history decide what did or did not happen. But the rest of you, what are you thinking? reporting on NSA wiretapping or secret prisons in Eastern Europe, those things are secret for a very important reason. They're super depressing. And if that's your goal, well, misery accomplished. Over the last five years, you people were so good. 
over, uh, over, over tax cuts, WMD intelligence, the effect of global warming. We Americans didn't want to know, and you had the courtesy not to try to find out. Those were good times, as far as we knew. But listen, let's review the rules. Here's how it works. The president makes decisions. He's the decider. The press secretary announces those decisions. And you people of the press, type those decisions down. Make, announce, type. Just put them through a spell check and go home. Get to know your family again. Make love to your wife. Write that novel you got kicking around in your head. You know, the one about the intrepid Washington reporter with the courage to stand up to the administration? You know, fiction. I mean, nothing satisfies you. Everybody asks for personnel changes. So, the White House has personnel changes. And then you write, oh, they're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. First of all, that is a terrible metaphor. They're, this administration is not sinking. This administration is soaring. If anything, they are rearranging the deck chairs on the Hindenburg. Are we, are so we we're back. Uh, that was uh, Stephen Colbert, who was uh, hosting uh, the at the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner, and who uh, gave uh, our, our our president, our honored president, the what for, and also the press corps, uh, in a uh, really brilliantly ironic and astonishingly brave performance, which has been scarcely reported in our corporate media. We have a uh, we have a uh, telephone call from Elliot on the line. Elliot, please go ahead. Thanks for calling. Left out. Hi, I'm uh, I'm uh, just navigating through traffic right now. Um, but I did see the C uh, I saw it on C-SPAN, um, the whole White House correspondence dinner, and and I think it's I don't think it's right uh, to applaud Colbert. I think it's wrong that it's been kept out of the media. But Colbert's not taking you know white pokes, superficial pokes at the president, and that's the purpose of the dinner. He's systematically going through everything that's wrong in our nation. There's nothing optimistic. Everything's full-on depressing, and, you know, I just don't, you know, he got those nervous laughs. It was awkward. He was, he's amazingly witty, but, but the content of what he was saying, it's just not the right vision for America. It's not what should have been happening at the Correspondents' Dinner, and it wasn't right, and everyone knows it. Well, uh, thank uh, thank you for that comment. I think you are either uh, I think you are easily as ironic as uh, Stephen Colbert. Uh, why the... don't you explain that? Because <laughs> because I am a liberal and 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 I did not vote for President Bush. So why don't you explain how that was ironic? Uh, I don't know. I was offering you the opportunity to say that it was ironic. Well, you well know, I, okay, I'm let, me, let me ironic let me comment let me comment on that. I I, I think the prob the prob one of the problems is that the whole dinner is improper. And I, I said is, this, I said farce, this yeah. at the beginning because this is where you get together and you you have a few drinks and you slap a few backs and you and you you know you chit chat and it's supposed to be uh, this this um, fun thing between the president of the government and, and the press and it it just be the relationship they're supposed to have is is adversaries they're supposed to be you know. Chomping at the bit to, to get those stories out. They're not supposed to be adversaries. They're not supposed to be opponents. They're supposed to be reporting the news. But they're, they're not. The whole, no. the whole point is they're not reporting. 
Well, I, I mean, you can take a different point of view, but I think uh, whether what their role is supposed to be, but the, I think the, and, and certainly in my own opinion anyway, that the, the whole thing is uh, extremely chummy in a way that I think is absolutely inappropriate and reflects okay, what's, what, what's wrong know, with the, not, if you'll hear me out, what's, what's wrong with our national press is that they have a close chummy relationship, a personal relationship with these politicians. So, for example, out of the first thing that pops into my head for some reason was uh, in the debates in the 2004 election, one of which was uh, was my, uh, was uh, being uh, emceed or what's the word I'm looking for by chaired by um, by Bob Schieffer who plays golf with Bush. I mean the thing is preposterous the way in which the the press is in bed with uh, with the government and the way in which the particularly in the Bush administration thereby controls what goes in the press. And I think that this uh, my own opinion. I, I understand where you're coming from, but my own opinion on this is that the White House Correspondents Center is a gigantic. Uh, and it, 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 is it itself an indictment of what is wrong with the National Press Corps? I, you know, I think that's one valid perspective, but at the same mm. time, someone has to report the news, and it has to be done in some fashion. And I think that they haven't been owning up to their jobs, you know, like you know most other rational people in America who can see all of the problems uh, in the media. But, but you know going back to to colbert's comments yeah i think he's he's incredibly witty i think he has some very provocative ideas but you know you, the way to go about it is just not to go through you know uh explaining everything wrong in the nation i just don't think that's right i see well okay well uh, thank you very much for thank you very much for calling You're welcome. in welcome pleasure uh, i hope you'll call i hope you'll call again thank you uh, Elliot. Well, uh, so, a, a, other listeners, if you're welcome to call, uh, you're welcome to call uh, uh, Left Out by uh, telephoning us at 412-268-9728. And we also monitor electronic mail. You can send mail to bob at leftout.info. Well, I guess part of it is, you know, when we were listening to that, um, we were laughing here. Well, during during Colbert, the, the, the excerpt we just played, we were sitting here laughing and uh, sort of exulting in, in what he was saying. And... and um, Maybe, you know, it wasn't appropriate. You know, Elliot's point, I guess, is well taken, that he was, in a sense, out of line. He wasn't following the rules that are the sort of set out for that, that event. But the problem, the problem with it is that um, we're so frustrated here over <laughs> uh, us liberals at, at these points not, not appearing in the mainstream media. And uh, for him to do that, uh, and make those points in such a public way to Bush's face. I mean, when does he ever get told the truth? When is Bush ever told? We don't. I'm not aware that this ever ha- that this ever happens. I mean, it's, it, this is you know one of the only examples that we've had in the last five years of somebody standing up to him and just telling him, you know, what's you know. Yeah, certainly for me, I think this was the point that I think. Uh, so Elliot has a valid has a valid point. Uh, about maybe there's some sense of decorum, but I myself, when I in the last analysis, I think uh, uh, bully bully for Stephen Colbert. I am really delighted that he did that for exactly the reason you said, and it's not just to Bush's face, but also to the face of the of the National Press Corps, and you know, pointing out to them the totally obvious fact that they just uh, what did he say? You just uh, transcribe and type it up, and then go home and uh, work on that novel. It's, uh, we have another caller. Uh, we have a call from Dave in Point Breeze uh, calling left out. Dave, uh, you're, on, uh, you're on left out. Thank you for calling. Uh, yeah, I think you actually just made my point that uh, in response to the last caller, which was that for all these years, 
no one has been speaking truth to power. And Colbert had his chance, and he took it. And he took so it. so many other people have <laughs> let it go right through their fingers. <clears throat> it's great for him, isn't it? And I'm, I'm really impressed that he had the nerve. Uh, I myself have often fantasized, uh, if I were to meet the president by some occasion, you know, would I have the nerve to say something, you know, meaningful and truthful to him? Uh, you know, I'm not sure that I would. I, to be perfectly honest with you, it may sound cowardly, and I'm probably supposed to sit here and boast and pretend that I would. But, uh, you know, I think it's a very intimidating thing. I, I, I haven't met the president, but I could imagine that it is a very intimidating yeah, circumstance. And it would be very difficult for me. Also, in all likelihood, I would be representing my, uh, not merely myself, but myself in a prof- probably, probably a professional capacity. And then I would feel all the more burdened to not say anything. So uh, it's delightful that uh, that Colbert, although perhaps by breaking some dishes, uh, finally said something. Was there anything else on your mind? Well, it was uh, other points you already made, I believe, adequately, which was the lack of coverage in the press. But that's understandable because he indicted them uh, and laid just as much blame at their feet as yeah. he laid at uh, everyone else's. Thank you very much for calling Left Out. I appreciate it. I hope you'll call again. Uh, it does bring up a point where we've seen uh, Danny and I we were talking before the show. <clears throat> excuse me. Some of the discussion about Colbert's. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, please forgive me. I'm coughing today. I have a terrible cold. Um, if we uh, that that as uh, collecting my thoughts again that we were talking before before the show that um, many people I I know um, find it offensive and this is not what Elliot's point was as far as I'm aware find it offensive or that it's inappropriate to criticize the president. Uh, there, are very, there are many versions of this. Um, one is um, a sitting president, whatever that means. Another is, um, oh, in a time of war, that's a favorite one. Or even under any circumstances, I remember... Uh, you're some, not supposed to criticize the president. It's a taboo. It's, it's, it's yeah, in, like in, improper. I remember a few years ago, and this seems to be, to, as far as I see, it seems to be uh, it seems to be uh, it seems to be something that is quite strongly emphasized on the right these days is somehow uh, uh, a reverence for the president. And uh, to me, this is absolutely un-American. We have another caller uh, is this time we have a call from Greg and Monroeville. Uh, you're on left out. Thank you for calling. Hello. I wanted to make the point that the media, um, well, at least a few people said that Bush kind of stole the show. And uh, and then I believe at the end of Hardball, I think it was yesterday, Chris Matthews said, well, you know, uh, that Colbert went over the top, and this is a head of state, you know, he was talking to. But that Bush stole the show, I think, is not really very accurate because, I mean, he, he may have gotten more laughs, you know, technically. Yeah, well, it would be. No one's counting, but the thing was, this... Bush's bit was a bit offensive to me in, a, in a, like a couple small points when he referred to like Martin Luther King and Sigmund Freud and and his you know subconscious was speaking uh, you know as the the uh, the guy impersonating him it just came off as kind of creepy would you agree at all <laughs> uh, I didn't actually hear that part of the program so uh, you may have watched it on C-SPAN I didn't watch the whole thing so I can't comment Danny did you no, see I that? didn't see that part I see well, you but, really should. I mean, I uh-huh. was ecstatic that I was flipping channels and that I found it because uh-huh. I had I had heard last year that C-SPAN carried it, and I thought it would be something really interesting to see. You know, I mean, if you can see the whole thing, you should take a look at it, and especially the Bush part because it was actually there were points where it was like really very creepy. Okay, uh, we'll do. I'll, we'll we'll do that. Okay, okay. Th- thank you very much for calling for calling left out. 
Uh, so back to my point, I remember uh, a few years ago, uh, Rob Rogers was here. Rob Rogers is a CMU uh, graduate, uh, and he was back uh, giving a lecture about political cartooning. And this would have been, I, if I remember correctly, it was probably around 2001, uh, shortly after the president had taken office. It uh, wasn't uh, that long into his term. And uh, I remember there was... Uh, that there was a uh, comment from uh, comment from someone in the audience who was uh, who asked him a question in the question and answer time was deeply offended that he uh, that he that she, she was Bush. tired yeah of him making that of him making fun of Bush because he's the president we should honor our president and you know I practically fell out of my chair it would be like oh, what planet do you want I I, I, I don't I don't understand the, jo- the logic job. of this so that we is have literally uh, his job so we have a, we, we have another caller uh, we have a phone call from Don uh, go ahead please you're on left out. I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make a small point here. Uh, people are talking about how brave Colbert was. Uh, I don't think Colbert was actually brave. I mean, he's uh, branding himself as a gadfly, so he's not really uh, uh, challenging us with anything uh, with what he did. The person who was brave, I think, was the uh, the functionary who who scheduled the Colbert to appear <laughs> at, the, at that uh, uh, dinner. Uh, that guy is going to take a lot more stuff than Colbert will. Uh, you are absolutely right about that. I have no idea how that was booked. We were at, we were, uh, Danny and I were talking about it before the show. Neither one of us know. Uh, similar I thing. The, I doubt they'll invite him back, though. Uh, I doubt they'll invite him back. A uh, similar thing happened a couple of years ago when John Stewart was on uh, with Tucker Carlson on CNN. Yeah, they were doing a crossfire, yeah, and they thought crossfire, he'd be a, right, they, exactly. they thought he'd be a, you know, you know enter, yuck, yuck. A yuck yuck entertaining funny jokester, and he ended up he stuck challenge, it to them. challenging them like, why are you screwing things up like this? Yeah, and so I think uh, uh, so. This is not the first time this sort of thing has happened. But thanks for the comment and thanks for the call, Don. All right, thank you. Uh, so anyway, so we have quite a lot of callers today. Four one two two six eight nine seven two eight. You're always welcome to call if you prefer to use electronic mail. You can send us uh, electronic mail uh, to Bob at leftout.info. One of the things about about what uh, Colbert did was that he did have time to plan the whole thing out and made a decision that this is the, the this is the shtick he was going to do and, and 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 he carried it out. But it did. I think I would disagree with Don a little bit. I think it did take a lot of guts to. To stand up there and, and talk like that in front of the well, I the think leader of the I think Don's world. point is uh, Colbert's job isn't on the line by any means, right? In fact, it only uh, increases his popularity. That's right. So that so, that's interesting. In that sense, he didn't risk anything. So that that's an interesting point mm. that that the fact that he isn't <coughs> at the mercy of Bush or anybody in that room. And this is made, what made John Stewart's it, uh, take takedown of Tucker Carlson possible as well. Yeah. So these guys, I mean. Unlike ordinary reporters, and we've talked about this before on Left Out, who are really at a, in a very vulnerable position, um, we've talked about m- many cases in which reporters have been, you know, all, all kind, you know, losing their job is is is, is you know the, 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 a terrible punishment for somebody. Uh, losing their career is another possibility. Uh, to go out on a limb and, and report stuff that um, that your newspaper management doesn't like, yeah. and this yeah, is a day no. this has happened, or your network or whatever. Yeah. So this is absolutely true. So I think uh, the lesson here is uh, uh, pay, pay attention to the comedian, beca- the comedians, because as is well, very frequently observed, uh, is, uh, is there's a lot of truth. Uh, I wish I could find a uh, witty way to say this. There's a lot of truth in every in every joke, and uh, and this is uh, this is a good example of it. So uh, anyway, I urge our listeners to have a have a look uh, at Stephen Colbert's. Uh, 
appearance. Uh, the, the callers have mentioned also there are other parts of the program that are interesting to look at. You can also get a uh, transcript. We have a link to various things on the leftout.info uh, uh, webpage. You might want to have a look at that. Right. In fact, you can watch. Um, there's a link to a website called <coughs> YouTube.com. Which has the entire um, the video, the video, the video link. So that'll be great. Watch that. So one thing I wanted to mention: we only have a few minutes remaining, but I, one uh, one item uh, in the news that I noticed this weekend that I would like to call attention uh, to our listeners is uh, the uh, we fre- frequently talked and left out about the ever uh, the ever growing constitutional crisis that has yet been uh, not yet been widely recognized, uh, which is being uh, which is being created by the Bush regime. Which is uh, uh, the, there's an article this weekend in the Boston Globe uh, about the uh, Bush's use of what he calls signing statements to uh, circumvent or to assert the inapplicability of the of laws that are duly passed to him. And uh, the thing that is uh, the quotable item that's in here is that uh, 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 is that while uh, Bush hasn't well, didn't start this business actually it started in the Reagan administration it was an idea of Ed Mises and I'll come back to that because I think the intention of it is to uh, is it's supposed to be a, it's supposed to be a kind of legal booby trap we'll we'll get back to that later but starting with uh, Reagan and continuing through the subsequent administrations including. Bush, the Bush elder, and also Clinton's administration were these signing statements in which the <clears throat> president uh, ma- makes a press release effectively saying uh, what his uh, interpretation of the law is, how he interprets this law. Well, in some sense, it does, it's absolutely meaningless. I mean, he can say whatever he wants. I mean, it doesn't matter. But the first first item here is that the extent to which it's been used in the, in the uh, present Bush administration, 750 laws uh, have been claimed, Bush has, has claimed uh, through this uh, mechanism, the authority to disobey more than 750 laws enacted by Congress, according to his own, uh, his own uh, interpretation of the Constitution. So although he's been sworn to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States, uh, he feels free to, so, uh, to disregard whatever laws that he finds inconvenient. So, so and he asserts it on constitutional authority. So now, the booby trap aspect, ask, I want to ask well, the— Do you okay. mean that, that he says—well, when they, when they use the word um, dog, I, I interpret it to mean— uh, He interprets it to mean whatever he wants. A specific type of dog. And whatever he wants. It's not what you're saying. You're saying he's simply saying, whatever this he law wants. tells me I must do X. Like well, the, Patriot, the reporting X. provisions of the Patriot Act, which they refuse to comply with. That's a, that's a concrete example, and they have refused to comply with that. So the point about the booby trap is I suspect that the real idea here is guess who was behind this signing statement thing to begin with? None other than our, our Justice Scalito, excuse me, Alito, who uh, is on the Supreme Court now. And I think the idea was it'd be a booby trap so that later on that the Supreme Court with uh, uh, Scalia and Thomas and, uh, and Alito uh, can to say that they can suddenly decide that these signing statements have absolute compelling constitutional authority and will resolve any challenges to the law. This is where I think the real plan is, is to suddenly elevate those into the status of law by quoting them in a case law and a decision by the Supreme Court. Um, message here is watch out because uh, I think a constitutional crisis is brewing. That's all the time we have today on Left Out. Thank you very much for, for listening to our program. Thank you to Matt Horniak for producing, and we'll be back in two weeks' time.